I'm sitting here today with uh, Matthew Hilaire. Um, That's it. Who I met, um, oh, last year, the end of last year, I'd say. Close to it, yeah. So for those of you that have been listening that don't already know, um, or if this is your first episode or whatever, so I work with a organization that has launched a social enterprise called Wellboat Bikes. Uh, Wellboat Bikes, kind of the short version is we're a nonprofit bike shop that is working to make affordable, reliable transportation accessible and available to everyone. So our organization for years has worked with folks on the streets, the homeless, the working poor. And one of the things that we realized is there's an issue of access and uh, ownership really that lies, that underlies a lot of the needs that we encounter needs like food, clothes, whatever. And we found that folks that had transportation or in particular that had bikes uh, had a much different experience of life on the streets. They had more access to resources, opportunities, to social services. And so we kind of doubled down and said, hey, let's invest in and build a business, a social enterprise business for the sake of, one, a more sustainable model, but then also creating an, a platform where everybody can have access uh, to ownership of a means of transportation. And so we launched Wellboat Bikes. Uh, we're actually coming up on two years. And, um, and so anyway, we have a storefront in university mall in a neighborhood with a lot of need where folks maybe can't afford cars, but could afford bikes. And then for folks that can't afford bikes, we have an earn a bike program where they can come in and earn a bike through a investment of community service hours at the end of which they get a bike, uh, safety training, lights, lock, uh, helmet, water bottle, kind of everything they need to be set up as commuters. Now, Matthew, came in um i would say i want to say the first time was like last november i think that might be right yes no yeah i think that's about right for sure um so i was more informed about well built about around that time i think so yeah yeah so we had made a connection so matthew works with an organization in town um called eckerd connects Correct. Yeah. And so he came in because kids in a program that he works with have this same need and mm-hmm. are a, let's say, a younger version of a similar demographic that have some transportation issues and came in and said, hey, listen, I work for Eckerd. I need a bike. And of course, we love and know Eckerd. We were beginning to work with them and are getting a more solidified relationship with them now as yep. really as a result of, I think, you right. coming in yep. and beginning a conversation with us. But he said, listen, some of these kids need bikes. Said, hey, we can we can work with you, give you a discount on these bikes. Let's work together. They have a small budget. Okay, what can we do to get bikes? And then over the last year, mm-hmm. I just started looking back going, man, you might be our best customer. You <laughs> came in every yeah. month like, hey, we need another bike. We need another bike. This kid needs a bike repair. This is going on. And so the more that... Um, the more that we saw you, the more we started paying attention and saying, hey, tell me more about the program you're working with. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, so that kind of uh, is a is a brief version of how we met. But then as Matthew's come in, I've realized more and more we have a lot of overlap in interest. Uh, he's really mm-hmm. engaged in and interested in some theological topics, yep. uh, has impressed me with his kind of heart for even the kids he works with and the things he's trying to do. Uh, has some side projects that he's been working on, hopefully that we can kind of get into some of which today, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, dude, thanks for making time. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, uh, I'm actually excited to be here. This is a uh, first time on a podcast. There you go. But I believe it's my second time on some sort of audio 
platform. What'd you do before something on the radio or something? Yeah, yeah. I was on what is it called? Inspiration ten forty or something of that sort. Sounds uh, Christian. Yeah, it is. Okay. <laughs> so nobody yeah. was listening to it. Probably not. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, but it, it was uh, by this guy named Pete O'Shea. He, I guess I didn't know. he He's a comedian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I know that name. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I got started with Rem- the Remedy Project is the, one of the projects that I'm doing. Uh, he he was the one for person that said, yeah, let me hear more about it. And uh, he put me on to get it started. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, well, let's go ahead and jump into that then. Why don't you... Um, tell us since maybe we weren't listening to Christian radio and we yeah. missed your explanation. Of right. It. And maybe I imagine it's developed since then. So mm-hmm. the remedy project. So the remedy project um, kind of goes with the baseline of saying that the gospel is the remedy to all solutions. Um, and it, it tries to bring to the forefront that, um, you know, the gospel can go into every areas of life Mm -hmm. and be the remedy basically um and so how to address that is that it it goes in three platforms to educate uh to motivate and to donate um so it it is it's a a fantastic way of thinking to me because it's it's like if i have something that can be beneficial to um people around me, mm-hmm. why not use it? Yep. You know, um, if, if I know something, um, I, I should be able to act on it. So one of the things is which I, and this is usually kind of harps on believers and it's not to harp on them as in you're doing everything wrong. Sure. It's, it's more to say like, it's calling you to act, um, basically to the great commission more than just speaking but also doing. So let's back up a little bit. Um, I want to help you kind of frame this a little bit or mm-hmm. for the folks that are listening. So yeah, yeah. let's not, I want to not assume mm-hmm. that we maybe have an understanding of a word like gospel or assu- right. assuming right. believers. Um, and so to, and I, I really want you to, I want to get to the, the, those three components. I'm really interested in kind of the template that you laid out for yourself. Right. Um, but so, I mean, gospel means good news, right? And Correct. so there's good news in mm-hmm. it's, uh, you're saying it's for every area of life. Uh, mm-hmm. Socially, it's good news. Economically, it's good news. Right. Psychologically, it's good news. Right, right. Um, I don't know if you want to flesh that out a little bit. Yeah, so um, the good news in those aspects would be not something that's just good to know, but it's sufficient. Um, so basically, um, we, we know in various ways and lives that, that good news has been um, engaging psychologically. It has engaged families, has engaged, um, um, even though it could be debatable, you know, just how the foundational things of just religion in general mm-hmm. in some areas has been beneficial to America itself. Mm-hmm. You know, so... And there has been some fundamental Christian Judeo backgrounds to that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's more on a evidence kind of base where it's like, you know, hey, there's something here that's actually seems to be working, you know, um, regardless of how people receive it and then respond and use it. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
how I go about doing yep. this is is that um, it's like okay, I don't want it just to be relative. Oh, in my experience, this was very helpful for me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see, like you know, all right. So if I believe this is good news, the idea of it is is that then I need to go and share it. That meaning this good news can help and will help mm-hmm. if given the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, okay, well, I need to go about doing this. But when I first came up with the idea of the Remedy Project, I was working with kids in, as a youth director. Okay. And um, so <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be the best youth director. Everyone's going to know my name, you know. Sure. That's very gospel-like, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and then so what ended up happening, you know, I, I was talking to my friend and there was a group that started from the bottom of Washington mm-hmm. state and biked all the way from there to Tampa. Really? Yeah. So it was either the bottom of Washington or top of Oregon, whatever one. And they're raising funds to a program called Bridging Freedom. Okay. That does uh, human sex trafficking. Yep. Um, for minors. Um that helps them anyways. Sure. So, and when I heard that, it was it was like man, I can't believe this. Like like it's in our backyard. At that time, I think we were the third highest calls regarding minor sex trafficking. Tampa. Tampa. Yeah, Tampa's huge. Yeah, yeah we're and, a port city and we got we produce most most of the pornography <laughs> that the right. nation is producing in Florida. Right. You know, and then I, I was just shocked by that. I was like, I'm working with kids mm-hmm. and I'm hearing these minors are actually becoming uh, victims mm-hmm. of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I wanted to, I wanted to really, it was like, man, I just can't think about that right now. Mm-hmm. You know, but then I, I was so convicted by it. It's like, this is my backyard. Yep. This is like, I'm walking day to day. And then it made me even think even more. How many people that we have coming in the church that actually could be victims of sex trafficking, mm-hmm. but we don't know because part of it is, is the reason that we're not asking. Mm-hmm. And the other reason and which I wanted to use at that time was, well, I don't have the knowledge or the resources. So so I wanted to deal away with those excuses. Sure. Okay, good. You know, so that was one of the things I was like, look, we, you have no excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not just asking you to bring awareness because I, I like awareness. I think it's needed. Mm-hmm. But awareness means nothing if there's no action sure. to follow. Sure. Um, and usually the times in which I've seen awareness become is this idea that, hey, I want you to be aware of this and I want you to do exactly what I'm saying. Yep. And my idea is, is like, I'm going to bring this awareness to you. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, unfortunately, and well, I don't think it's unfortunate, but if I'm convinced that the good news is the best way to do it, mm-hmm. then I'm going to say, you know, hey, this is how it's the best way and sufficient way of working. So I'm going to use the good news. Mm-hmm. Like, so I can't, I can't go away from that, mm-hmm. but I have to basically acknowledge like, okay, this is um, what some people would say, a bias. Sure, but I mean, 
it's it's an interesting thing and again this is around what people mean by but it you know at the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus mm-hmm. uh he opens up a scroll of Isaiah and he says I came to bring good news yeah. to the poor recovery of sight to the blind freedom for captives mm-hmm. this is a this is a message of liberation it's the right. the pro- proclamation of the year of jubilee the forgiveness of debt the setting free of prisoners and so then you go well man what a concrete reality if this is about i don't know liberating captives mm-hmm. oh there's actual captives right in our city um it would be strange to talk about much else or to think about much else than like breaking chains mm-hmm. like literal chains right, right? Um, but, but this was a, this was a jump off for you. This was a beginning point. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah. and then you have, uh, my understanding is you've kind of, because you're not just working around trafficking, mm-hmm. correct? No. That was another organization. There was some inspiration there, but you're basically saying, actually, here's the thing I'm trying to do is I'm just echoing this back to correct right. me if I'm wrong. I'm just making sure I understand that you're saying, so the educate component is kind of like awareness. Like, Hey, I want to let you know by the way, because mm-hmm. it made a huge impact on me that there are children mm-hmm. being held in captivity and sold into the sex industry. Right. There are women mm-hmm. being addicted to drugs and prostituted by monsters in mm-hmm. our neighborhoods. Right. Um, but you could say the same. There are kids uh, without families mm-hmm. to invest in them. Or there are, you know, as you, there are uh, this, this number of homeless living on the streets in mm-hmm. our city. So you start... Right moving toward, uh, let's just say bad news, right? You're like, Hey, let me, let me tell you about all the bad news, all the bad things that are going on. Just existential reality that you are able to ignore because you're middle-class or because you just watch Netflix. But like, if you just look around, Mm -hmm. you can see there's some really messed up stuff going on in our city. And if we're going to be, if we are going to be good news, Mm -hmm. then we need to do something. And this is where you start transitioning to like something like motivate, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And so, go so, ahead. Tell me. Yeah. So um, it kind of reminds me when you were saying that um, <laughs> I, I, so I haven't read the Lord of Rings or the Hobbit, but. Oh, they're very good. Yeah. I, I hear that all the time, <laughs> but I've seen the movies. So part of what I'm going to say could be ignorant, but I'm it's to make a point. Sure. So, um, and it kind of, I, the Hobbit, you have this story of um, uh, it's not just Frodo, but his uncle. Mm-hmm. I forgot his name. Baggins. Baggins. Frodo. Not uh, <laughs> no, Bilbo. Frodo, Bilbo Baggins. Yeah. So Bilbo Baggins, he's kind of taken up by uh, Gandalf, mm-hmm. you know, out of the Shire, mm-hmm. you know, and he sees things. It goes on this venture about the ring and then he comes back. And when he comes back, you know, long story short, when he comes back, it's this idea where he doesn't see things the same. You know, he's in the Shire and he sees everyone in the Shire. So I kind of call it like the Shire complex Mm. where it's this idea where we want to live our lives. We want to enjoy our lives, but we don't want to know what's really going on. Yep. And the greatest things in which kind of Gandalf have done is that he brought him out to show him how things are, you know? So not to show him um, just all the evil, but to show there's, you know, there is 
something eventually good going to happen. You know, it's really interesting because it, you're so a couple things here. You're, uh, you're zeroing in on a specific story, but it's also every story. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is like the arc that is the, the, what's called the hero's journey, mm-hmm. but it is like a, 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 a kind of a descent into hell, mm-hmm. uh, with a guide yeah. and a Gandalf or whatever that then you return. So in the end, after facing death and you know, there's like a potential or actual resurrection or something like that, like almost died or actually died. And, came back after, you know, complete loss. And this is just kind of a, a general narrative type that works with mythology, works mm-hmm. with storytelling, works with uh, movies we, we love. Right. The comic books, you know, yeah. pe- right. characters that we care about. But they come back, and this is what you're saying, is like they come back to the place that they left, but they are they have been made new by that journey, by that experience, and so they come back with fresh eyes and different perspective. So I personally, let me tell you this if mm-hmm. you don't know this about me if you so like let's see if you went on because this is like really echoes my own story so mm-hmm. if you went on um uh instagram i posted this the other day i just posted a photo that i found of an old journal so i don't journal a lot mm-hmm. but i did this particular night but it was the first night so my my own story kind of goes back like when i so I don't know if I've told you this, but I came to faith in a very strange way. So Mm -hmm. I was raised, you know, air quote Catholic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I, I was Irish, right? So oh yeah, we're Catholic. (laughs) Grandma's Catholic, but it didn't mean anything. Didn't go to church a whole lot occasionally, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think a lot about it. It was just, it was like a cultural uh, feature. But later in life, I actually became a Christian because I took too much acid. Yeah. And I had this religious experience where I basically met God in a hallucination Mm -hmm. and I've never been the same. Right. But I came out and I started getting serious about reading scripture and getting involved. I didn't get involved in any churches though. And so I, you know, whatever. So fast forward, I didn't have any experience with or in the church. When I finally did go to church, I hated it because I was like, what the hell does this have to do with anything that I've been reading Mm -hmm. or the life and teaching of this radical person Jesus Mm -hmm. uh this doesn't seem like good news to me this just seems like a silly thing to do and a waste of money and blah 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 so all embedded critique there whatever but then I heard about a church that was going out to serve the homeless Mm -hmm. and I went out and I've told this story several places and maybe even on here but I this night I went out and I went into so I went out with a van that goes out from the meal site And I took, I remember I had a to-go box with food and I had a blanket. It was Florida winter. It's not that cold, but you know, walking around, I know where it is now, but I didn't at the time. I'm walking around this dark alley downtown. Someone took me out that goes there. I've never been there. I don't know where I am. I can't see down this alley. It reeks of urine. Mm. I was like, this is hell, whatever. Right. But I'm here to serve. And in whatever way that means, I don't even know. I just knew. I read scripture and it said like, I was hungry and you did what, you know, like, well, maybe I should take some food out, whatever. So I walked down this alley and I'm like, Hey, is anyone in here? And his voice comes back and there's this man there. He says, yeah, I'm here. Hey, you want some dinner? Yeah, I'd love some dinner. And I don't know what to do. I'm thinking, do I just hand this to him and walk off? And I'm like, yeah, I think probably relationship is important here. So I hand him the food. I kneel down, give him the blanket and I just squat. I couldn't kneel because everything reeked of urine. And I was like, I think we're sitting in urine. I'm not sure, but, um, 
I kneeled down or squat down and just talked to him while he ate and spent an evening talking with him. Well, that night I went home and I was overwhelmed and I wrote, which is a sign of me being overwhelmed. Like I got to get this written down, whatever. And I posted that journal entry the other day and it said like, I think people do this kind of thing to feel good, but I don't feel good. I feel Mm -hmm. like crap. And I can to this day point to that night and say, that's when the, what I've called the haunting began Mm -hmm. that began to haunt me. And then I went back home to my Shire, right. Mm -hmm. To my stuff. And I was like, I have a blanket, an extra pillow. I have clothes in the closet, food in the fridge, a car in the driveway, running water that heats up a roof over my head, air conditioning. This is ridiculous wealth comparatively Mm -hmm. to this beautiful brother that I have a lot in common with living in an alley. And I don't know, just to kind of echo what I hear in your own, your own model mm-hmm. is like, cause it sounds like you're like, Hey, I want to take people on that journey. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess like to affirm that to be like, well, that's how it worked with me. And I've never been the same because I came face to face with something real. And when I came back, I realized one, my stuff doesn't look the same. I'm not comfortable with what made me comfortable before. And I don't want to live in a world that works this way. Right. There is a to that yep. is that is this we will battle this cognitive dissonance, and the idea is is that you will try to implement fantasy within your reality, and if you don't deal with that cognitive dissonance, it's going to always be a difficulty. So an example would be, um, uh, let's just use an extreme one, but it works in various levels. Where you can say to a family member, hey, so-and-so died. And when they hear that, depending on how much their relationship is with that person, they'll be like, no, no, I don't want to believe it. No, you're lying. That's that cognitive dissonance in which you're fighting. Yeah. You know, but I'm just giving the truth. Yeah. The truth is in which is what I'm giving. But I'm not trying to just give the truth in the context of making him hurt. I'm giving him the truth in context of hope. Yeah. But his response to that is very, very kind of irate in some areas. Yeah. So in that, you're battling it, but you comfort with the truth. Yeah. You know, so that Hmm. brings into the ideas in the context of motivation Mm -hmm. is that, yeah, (laughs) what we're listening or we're hearing of of, of, um, these issues it is it is tough sometimes in which I, I had to kind of take a breather, um, kind of collect myself. You're going to wrestle with despair. Yeah. Right. You're going to wrestle with it, you know, but the comforting of the good news is not only will it be done with at the end, that it's being actively engaged now. Yeah. You know, it's it's not something we just wait for. But we will we do experience that greatness of the good news now mm-hmm. we experience it not just outwardly but inwardly where it's the heart is comforted mm. by what the good news has done mm-hmm. and it actually wrestles basically as, <laughs> as much as you 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 stated you know it's like i didn't feel good doing that you know but when you go back you're convicted it's like that's another brother yeah and that was a good word in which to say it's like the imago day, the image of God, is impressed in someone mm-hmm. that that has less than you. Yeah, 
you know, it isn't your material things that has given you satisfaction. So the motivation and what I make the remedy process is like it addresses the the issues, but it is not deterred away. It engages it in whatever. So with the the model of what scripture is saying, uh, what is Christ saying, what is God saying, that is the motivation that will either wrestle the heart or or uh, convict the heart. Or, unfortunately, I've had people just go into cognitive dissonance and ignore it. Well, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I no. mean, and honestly, we might not frame it this way, but in, in some sense, that's what, you know, if you get a bunch of stuff and surround yourself with a bunch of comfort and you can drive in and close your garage behind you and shut the world out, mm-hmm. like you, people will create sanctuaries mm-hmm. for themselves so that they don't have to look at other people's problems or mm-hmm. face the world as it is. And, and, the, and that's a maybe in big contrast to saying like, I want to look with my eyes wide open at the pain of the world and what, and ask these really hard questions. I do want to ask you a question that I yeah. think is so topically yeah. what I've been trying to do on this podcast is explore really the concept of work as such. Yeah. So that could be like what you do for work as career, mm-hmm. what you work at in your passion. Um, so like in, this is a good example because we're talking about not what you do as your career, but a project yeah. kind of your, 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 your actual baby, your mm-hmm. actual hope, the thing you're actually trying to like, grow and breathe life into. But some of the topics that come up when we talk about work. So in, let's just say, okay, well work is a lot like sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So let's just take like working out as an example. I want to be fit, right? It's a good illustrative thing, but to be fit, I have to do something hard today. Mm. I have to say no to that cheesecake and I have to pick up something heavy (laughs) and I don't want, I want the cheesecake and I don't want to pick up something heavy. Actually, but if I, if I exercise those immediate wants mm-hmm. and immediate gratification, then I actually don't want to be fit. It doesn't follow. But if I actually want something later, I have to sacrifice something today. And I think work is sacrifice in that way, right? It's like I have to work on the thing that I want tomorrow, build the house that I want tomorrow, mm-hmm. save toward the goals that I have for tomorrow. And so, so what happens then is it lays out a kind of logic of sacrifice that I think is, um, an important feature of every kind of work, I think. And this is kind of some of the topics we're exploring, but part of this, I, you know, and then in some individuals more than others, you see something like grit or resilience to really hold on to a goal yeah. Even when it looks like it's going straight to hell, you know, like beyond all measure or reason or whatever. And that is a, a feature or an attribute I really admire in people. Yeah. One that I really want to highlight and praise, but, but in that, even in that feature, forget the temperamental attribute in everyone, there's a question of motivation. And so you're saying, Hey, I want to show you something. And then I want to help motivate you to action is what to mm-hmm. do something. Now, the last right. one you said, donate, um, yeah. I'm, I'm, a, we can get to that right? because I want to stick on this question, but I'm assuming that is to give of yourself or of your, so that could be money. That could be time. That could be m- your brains. That could mm-hmm. be lots of things, right? That right. you would 
lend yourself. The, the line that comes to mind from Isaiah 58 is to spend yourself on behalf of the poor. It's like, I want to show you something, motivate you to spend yourself. Yeah. Right. Something like that. Okay. Talk to me about motivation. So like, let's just start right at home mm -hmm. for you. Forget the project for a second. Like what motivates you? And think about like different things that you do. Like what, what's, what has moved you, whether it was like, I was trying to accomplish a goal. Like, I don't know if you, let's say you played video games. I don't know yeah. if you ever do, but like, if you're like, oh, I was super motivated because I couldn't get through this level. Uh, I was at a <laughs> yeah. job and I locked in on this task because I was super motivated because of this. Mm -hmm. I was pursuing this person I wanted to date. And I was super motivated and yeah. like, and then those different landscapes kind of get clue you in a little bit on like, what is it that motivates you? Mm -hmm. Let's start there. Yeah. So, um, to start, um, I, I, I think I'm going to take the, yep. the idea of work. Okay. Um, I had to reevaluate my idea or concept of the definition of work, which I lived from. And it was this idea of you. It makes you feel bad. It makes you do things you don't want to do. Oh, this was your definition of work. Yeah, <laughs> work makes you feel bad. Yeah, <laughs> and it it makes you do things you don't want to do. Well, okay. Yeah. yeah. That that was that was my previous definition. Sure. And so so when I was I was like, man, I don't think. So my thought was to have something good was doing what I wanted. Yeah. Not having to feel bad about it yep. and uh, just enjoying it. Yep. And so all of those things in my mind was what was satisfactory towards me. Mm. Um, but it's, it's not the case. So I, I, I actually kind of more like I, I try to live out and have better understandings of uh, biblical truth or the good news in which we've learned. So that's that's a, a lot of my drive. So motivating, and I, I'll get in specifics to it, is what the Bible is saying. Now, do I live it out? I don't live it out perfectly at we all. We try. We try. Yeah. Right. So I call it joyfully being obedient. <laughs> um, and so the idea is that, like, going back to Genesis, to me, um, Work was good before the fall. That's right. So I was like, wait a minute. It was a gift. Yeah, yeah. And I was yeah. like, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on. And I, I, I tried to refute this, and I was like, no, no. You know, and and I'm reading it, and it just shows that. He's like, no, count these animals, see all these things, enjoy all these things. But it was a good thing. And then I just started looking at my life. Usually when I'm not doing anything, I don't feel like if I'm doing anything beneficial, I don't feel good. Like I, I truly believe that we are created to work. Mm -hmm. Now the work doesn't identify us, but we are created to work. Now what brings it even more is that like, um, I mean, I see you have a picture of Martin Luther King. Some works don't leave to a good ending. Martin Luther King he worked on something that was right. He mm -hmm. was doing things in which he believed it wasn't part of his job, you know, but he did what was right. You know, God was able to use and motivate him and use him to bring something together. For sure. So 
in the other sense, if work is a gift, not something which we're entitled is, then we don't have any say in it should or expectation that it should satisfy us. Okay. I want to, I want to pick this, not, not pick it apart in any critical way. Right. Literally trying to wrap my head around what you're saying. So I heard you say, uh, it doesn't have to have a good, uh, are you saying that it's not about the product, but the process is that, or like, like, so what did you mean by it doesn't have to end in something good? So, so what I'm saying is, is that Mark, so if we're going to take Martin Luther yeah, King as an example, so if I'm taking Martin Luther King, he knew something that was good, that was past himself. It wasn't something in which it's like, I'm only going to work in order for it to benefit me. Oh, yeah. He's thinking in a context of like, it can not just benefit me, but it benefits the future. Well, that and honestly, okay, I love, I love that you're highlighting this. This is so good because... So his last speech, which I'm super fascinated with because it was to garbage workers. Mm -hmm. So he was transitioning uh, in some sense into really around poor people as a whole, Mm -hmm. economic human rights and and the, the definition of work and the value of work. And so he was speaking to I believe it was the like a garbage worker convention or something his last public speech before he was assassinated Mm -hmm. and it's very famous speech i'm sure you know it but like and if you don't know it look up the youtube video like for anyone listening uh uh, i've been to the mountaintop but he says at this thing he's like i i've been in the mountaintop i've seen the promised land Mm -hmm. and I, i may not get there with you and it's and you watch his face like something washes over him like knowledge Mm -hmm. that would equal despair where he's like, it's both hope and despair. It's hope in what's coming. Guys, I've seen the promised land. I know where we're going. I also know I'm not going to make it. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter what happens to me now. Right. And man, it makes me tremble. But it's exactly what you're saying. It is someone who aims at something beyond themselves. And actually, I would say that fulfillment, personal fulfillment, I imagine comes out of aiming beyond yourself. So if someone says, I'm just trying to be happy, my guess is they're not happy. Mm -hmm. If someone says, I'm trying to give myself and spend myself for something super meaningful and important, Mm -hmm. I imagine they have a level of joy and happiness that most don't know. Yeah. Right? Like I look at a Mother Teresa Mm -hmm. and I'm like, that woman lived in a rough place with struggle and pain and death and illness. And I don't imagine feeling a lot of like, Oh, I can't wait to pop out of bed and go deal with leprosy wounds. And yet, and we know from her journals, the woman struggled deeply with feeling abandoned by God with despair. I don't know how familiar with those journals you are, but like, but even still, I think had something like a transcendent joy and ethic that we, that existed because of exactly what you're saying. Aiming, beyond yourself Uh, i'm glad you kind of fleshed that out i think king is man maybe the great example of that and the movement he led in my mind is you talk about like well even my own i go i went to church and i didn't like it but i look through history and i'm so grateful we have video footage Mm -hmm. of the civil rights movement because i just don't think there was a time i don't think so there's definitely not a time that i know of that is recorded or accessible where the church 
was more like it should be. Like this is the church, the ecclesia was created to engage mm-hmm. in meaningful ways to transform and impact the world with good news. Mm-hmm. Right. The thing you're trying to say. And it's like, oh, by the way, you want to see that happen, churches? Just dial up like eyes on the prize mm-hmm. and just watch and rewatch and then and then go home and think like, is that what we're doing? Mm-hmm. Are we engaging meaningfully in, in these things? Oh man, that's so good. Okay. So you said like it was something beyond yourself. So that's the, now that goal isn't selfish. It is transcendent. It is future oriented. Yeah. This is the logic of a martyr, right? Is like, I will and lay yeah, my life down. Yeah. Um, there is definitely, this kind of the logic of a martyr of, and, but it, not to be confused though, that, you know, through those trials and things that you go through, yep. um, you can you will, I don't think you just can, I think you will experience moments of joy and happiness, you know, but people maybe from the outside looking in would be like, man, I don't want to do all that. Like that's, I don't want to face all that, but it is promised that you will enjoy times of happiness. Yeah. And that's, that's a bravery, like a bravery kind of thing where it's like, I'm willing to go in the depth of it, not be consumed by God's grace, by whatever the sin or effects of sins could do to me. Mm-hmm. But I'm able to still cry out to this God, still cry out to this good news, be able to implement this good news. And people are still being able to see that. Yep. You know, that that is that is such an opportunity to have and to have this martyr kind of thing. It's. They're not thinking it's like, oh, I'm going to be great when I die. No, they're yeah. thinking about there is someone great that has died. Yep. You know, so it, it, this this idea, you know, if you're right. In some sense, it's like a martyrdom. Now, we don't, we don't have like a situation in our lives to be like the, Stephen the martyr, you know. But that to have that heart like him is something in which we should always kind of have, you know, and I, I don't want people to feel bad. You know, like, Oh man, I'm not living out. It's like to be encouraged. Yeah. To be encouraged. is like, look, you will continuously experience this joy and it is not exempted by hard work. It is not exempted by frustration, pain, um, stress, all of those things. I, I think there's two types of like um, um, kind of uh, stresses mm. or you know what better two types of pain and very much using the illustration of working out. Okay. When you're working out, you're going to feel the pain. Yep. You know, you and you're working out and you're like, oh man, this is hard. It's very difficult, but that's a good pain because mm-hmm. the big, good pain in which it does is that you recover from it. You get strengthened about it mentally, yep. physically, yep. spiritually. You know, it can really help in those areas. But there is a bad pain where if you work out and you do something wrong and you feel that tear mm. and it sets you back, mm-hmm. those types of pain. And it's hard for us to kind of discern between. It's like mm. it is a good pain. Yeah, that's good. You know, it is it is a good and it, it that comes with self-evaluation that comes with, OK, 
these these um this good news that I'm saying was this actually ever said that we're going to be dealing with this or is it always supposed to be good news equating to good life man there's so much good in this okay so so you have i love this good pain idea so you're saying like uh, it's really good cuz you when you start with let me tell you about the sex industry let me tell you about you know or trafficking let me tell you about you know homelessness addiction all this pain um a let's say a i don't know what i want to call like a middle class mind committed to comfort and security and safety right mm-hmm. and that that is a i am caricaturizing a, a a mindset right um that says i don't want to i don't want to look at that that's sad or painful or depressing or whatever and but but the idea that there is a good pain is related to and I, it just makes me think like this is also the idea of taking responsibility and this mm-hmm. is the thing that I want to encourage everyone that I talk to, everyone everywhere, to say, listen, take responsibility for this condition of your block. Take responsibility for the needs in your city. I mean, yeah, I don't I don't know what the right way for it is, mm. but I'll tell you this, if well, we could take I think the foster care system is a great example, right? So you probably know, I don't know the exact number, but there's a lot of kids without families in our own city. Yeah, I think it's like over 144,000. Okay, 144,000. Now, I don't know the statistics, but I, I, would, I would venture to bet that there is at least that many rooms, guest rooms, in the houses of middle-class people. Or even more, way you, more. Okay, so what I'm saying is we could... If we took personal responsibility for the condition of our city and said the youth matter, we could solve, we could we could end that today. I yeah today I, I think so today think so, like yeah. no no system needed no like literally just like I mean there's obviously there's like practical obstacles you gotta get mm-hmm. a background check you gotta go through this process you gotta get to say okay great whatever there's rules there's that's great we have systems to protect these kids and we absolutely should but the 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 raw material. And this is the same thing where I look around the city. I'm like, we have so many people that live outside and we have so many houses that no one are in. Mm-hmm. And I want to go around and just kick the doors in and be like, have this one, yeah. have this one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because right. what are we doing? It's mm-hmm. like we have assets and we have need, but those things are not in relationship to one another. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, sorry, I can go off on a tangent on that. That's like a, that's like a, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot song that I love to sing. Yeah. But like at the heart of this is, I love the idea of telling someone this is a good pain mm-hmm. and it, and actually you need pain in your life. Mm-hmm. You need the, you need to carry heavy things and there are things around you in your city that are heavy. You mm-hmm. need to look at them and you need to pick up what you can. You don't need to go and die necessarily. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Although Bonhoeffer said when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Yeah. Right. Give your life to this new thing we're creating. Exampled by someone like a Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, I'm on, I'm in. And, and, and then back, actually, this is interesting. You, I think you didn't, maybe you didn't mean to, but you said it's a type of bravery, which I think is exactly yeah. right. There's a type of bravery it takes to do hard things, to look at ugly things, to go to hard places 
And you're like, but I don't want to make people feel bad. I want them to be encouraged. Encourage is an interesting word, but it is, I want them to have courage in them. I want to instill courage. So I want to, I want to show you something hard and encourage you not to look away and tell you that this is a good pain that will, that will be good for the world and good for you. Life will be more meaningful because you sink your teeth into this problem and don't just live for your comfort and security and safety, man. Oh, okay. Now here's the, here's a question I have about, cause I asked you about what motivates you. Yeah. And now in that you go, I don't want people to feel bad and I do want them to have hope or be encouraged or to aim at something ahead mm-hmm. of them. So you're familiar with the idea of a, the carrot and the stick. I'm not familiar. Okay. So, so yeah, basically is there's two ways people are motivated. You dangle a carrot in front of someone Mm -hmm. that they chase, right? Or you beat them with a stick from behind. Mm -hmm. Um, now, well, let me just stop there as an introduction. So like it's cause when you said that, I thought, Oh, you're a carrot guy. Mm -hmm. Um, I am pretty comfortable with a stick. Mm -hmm. Although I think a carrot is important. I actually would probably come down on, you need both. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, talk to me about your own motivation. Like just you in anything you're doing. So what is it that compels you? Are you a carrot guy or a stick guy? So, um, I kind of view it as in the context of which, which is needed. Um, Mm. because like if I, if I, there are times like I don't, I procrastinate maybe for days, months or months. Yeah. 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 Sure. Sure. You know, so, and I'm like, man, I need to do this. I'm not, I want to do this, you know? And so what motivates me at that point could have been the carrot. Yeah. You know, but then the discipline aspect needed to come in because I'm choosing not to do it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but then once I start doing it, I see the benefits of it. I see and I, and then the carrot actually keeps me going. Yeah. Um so and so I mean I I kind of view myself like I do like the carrot when I'm doing feeling good. Yeah. <laughs> but I need the stick if I'm not doing anything. Yeah. So I don't know how much that answers your are, question. No, that's that's perfect. Now are you do does it matter are you motivated by so just zeroing in on the stick a little bit? Are you any good at being your own stick in that uh, kind of mirror oh, or do yeah. you need external sticks? I think I need both, but I'm more, I'm more self-critical of myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, you're not doing this today. You're not doing that. What are you doing? Have you, do you know who David Goggins is? Mm-mm. Oh man. Okay, so. Anyway, uh, then I, let's not go off on that huge cause, but, but like just, just cause I brought him up. Yeah. Uh, David Goggins is a monster. This dude is a, so he has a book out called can't hurt me. I can't recommend it enough. Mm. I will say, I think David Goggins is mentally ill in the most beautiful way I've ever seen. <laughs> this dude is, he is the epitome of kind of grit and hard work and whatever, but he tells 
his story. So this guy was like, he's an army ranger, Navy seal. He's like at the top of like four different military branches. Oh wow. Now he does like endurance sports. Cause he was raising a bunch of money. Like at some point in his stories, like I wanted to raise money for fallen heroes. I'd never run a marathon in my life, but I was like, I'll just do this hundred mile marathon. I'll do this hundred mile, you know? And he just started doing some of the toughest, uh, races and marathons and swims. This guy's just, and he is a, so he, he, I don't know if he still holds it, but he broke the, uh, Guinness book of world records for pull-ups in a 24 oh, wow. hour period. And, uh, and he actually took several attempts to do it. And if you look up on Google, his hands, like Google, David Goggins, pull-up hands, they're just hamburger meat. Like just, oh, I mean, man. it is, this guy can just stomach excruciating pain just push himself through hell. And this is where, and it's like, but I am so fascinated with this dude. Anyway, I was hoping you were familiar with him. Um, but one of the the reasons I brought him up is he has a couple of things that he uses that I heard in interviews, but also in his book, which I cannot recommend enough. And by the way, the audiobook of can't hurt me is, I think this is the future of audiobooks too. Yeah. It's just, he might be the first one to have done it that I'm aware of, but there's a, another guy reads his book. Mm-hmm. So chapter one, reads it and at the end of chapter one just turns to David Goggins who's sitting somewhere like this and goes and so it turns into a podcast that if you bought the book you won't get Mm. but on the audio he's like man chapter one that's crazy so tell me a little bit more about when your dad did that because his it's like his it's kind of a biography which he had a horrendous Mm. early life story dealing with so he's a black man in a place that was like full of the Klan and dealing with racism and his dad was kind of a hustler, not super good to the fan. And just like all this stuff that kind of like builds this man that is him. But he has this turning point. There's a conversion story in it. This is why I brought it up. You saying I was self-critical of myself. There's a moment in this book where he's, and I was listening to it. So audio, he's in the mirror saying you're fat, you're lazy. You're like to himself. And it's interesting because it is, it's the most horrendous self-talk. Like it's like four paragraphs of just like, man, this, this is like making me ill. Yeah. How horrible and abusive this is Mm. to himself. And it is the story of his own conversion. He's like, this was the moment that I decided to be a man. Like this was the moment. And it's like, yeah, talk about a stick from yourself. But anyway, there you go. There's a book recommendation for yeah, everyone. I, mean, I, I, I can't. Yeah, check that out. Check but. that out. It sounds very interesting. I I actually was. There's this. I think it was a Netflix. I don't know if it's still on there. It's like How to Lose, and it was just all about these people that play these sports and how uh, there was one about a boxer and he he his dad just was so disappointed in him, so disappointed in him, and. Um, he they just said hey we just need someone to fight the champion you know because he needs to fight someone Uh, i don't know if it's like they have a certain amount of months so he goes and he does it and he wins nice and he's like oh man but it got so much into his head that he didn't know how to win all he knew his life was how to lose oh interesting you know so when it just ruined him and um he was just he realized like losing wasn't a problem for him and then he just went on this other way um he lost the title again and he had to go through like self-evaluation for himself and that's such an interesting idea because there is a i don't know if you're 
man, it makes me think of the one of my favorite poems that I've ever heard is Rudyard Kipling's If. Mm. Um, but there's a line in it. He said, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. Mm. But there is a way in which it's like, yeah, you can't be moved by people's cheers nor by their critique necessarily. That yeah. There needs to be some other baseline. Um, one of the other things that came up as you were as you were sharing that I was thinking of is like you were it was part of the idea of like. So this is apart from motivation a little bit, but like related to this motivation. So you, you, you want to be situated. You want a carrot to pursue. You need some goals ahead of you and actually probably be best if those goals are long-term beyond even you, right? Like yeah. for the world. And then you want some things you're afraid of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this is good to do to sit and go, man, if I just give in to my desire to drink or lay around or, you know, Mm -hmm. not try like this, here is the hell that I will inevitably create for myself. And Mm -hmm. that would be very good to like run from. Right. It's, it's a scary, um, it's a good fear in a sense. Um, good pain. Yeah. Good pain. Yeah. Look that thing in the eye. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I, I also think it is, it's reality. You know, if, if you don't see that this is difficult, um, and this is um, very, very um, real. And if and you go into cognitive dissonance, that's a fantasy. It doesn't engage reality. Reality is, and that's when you really live, is when you re- you see that this is hard, this is difficult. It's it's more than myself. That that engages reality, and that's why I say it's like a bravery to it because you don't want to live in this fantasy anymore. And it, it's, it means that much more, too. So, for instance, if you're, um, I don't know, just let's say someone's going out or, or uh, they're in a relationship, guy and a girl, and she breaks up with him. And he's like, well, it was because of this or because of this. And she's like, it could be any of those things. But the reality is you're not together anymore. And you're hoping that you can get back together. Hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. But that's not the reality. Yep. That could be a reality, but you're, you're living in a what if. Right now is that you're broken, you're heartbroken, mm-hmm. you know, and she meant a lot to you and she still could mean a lot. But what do you do? Yeah. You know, and that's reality. And once you get like more past that in the sense of, you know, you're, you've, you've been broken and you're being healed of the heart of 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 your time or whatever way it comes in you engage it more and you feel more alive because i just i'm alive yeah it didn't kill me you know so mm. like when i go through these things um reality is hard and difficult but i'm not the the other part of the reality is that there is hope in in the midst of the issues and difficulties and at the end yeah man it's so good a lot what you're saying reminds me of the serenity prayer right the idea that um i'm not familiar with that 
you are probably maybe not by its name. So yeah. in 12 step meetings, so this is actually a, uh, Oh yes. Yes. If I've heard of that, it's actually an old, uh, Niebuhr prayer that's longer, but the one that we, the piece of it that is echoed so much in 12 step meetings is, you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change the mm-hmm. courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm-hmm. And what I hear you saying is, the reality is there are some things you can't do anything about. Right. But what you can do something about is what you do next. So, and, and this is, you know, Victor Frankl said the last bastion of human freedom. And he wrote this after being in a concentration camp and observing people locked in cages. <laughs> he said the last bastion of human freedom is your ability to respond to any circumstance, even being locked in a cage or chained. You always maintain the capacity to respond to the circumstances or conditions mm-hmm. with which you're faced. And that is the, 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 the place of human responsibility, the ability to respond that can never be taken from you, mm-hmm. even to your last breath. Right. And, and that is the thing that takes courage, wisdom, like, but it is like you can do something about what your next step is, what your next move is. And that is really the, let's say the place to really focus and think. And you're right. It is a place where you feel very alive Mm -hmm. because you're very responsible and you're free. And that burden is either excruciating or exhilarating, but it is powerful nonetheless to go, man, it's up to me. Like I have to act decide yeah. and move forward yeah I, I i view and i mean when you're just saying that in the concentration my mind goes straight to paul yep you know i <laughs> many people just we're three fourteen. 14 you know i could do it but i mean people don't understand like some of those epistles he's in jail i have learned to be content in every every situation well-fed or hungry in prison <laughs> shipwrecked it doesn't matter you know and and that's one of the things like i don't think a lot of people ask it's like you have people that are in jail and they feel okay. Actually, even more recent story, my brother, my younger brother, he he uh, loves reading his Bible. He, I don't know if he still does, but he used to go on Facebook and have these uh, live Facebook feeds of him just reading the Bible and just praying for people. Hmm. Um, at one time, he... He's on the street corner and he's just trying to give the word of God. And I think some sort of altercation happens when he goes to a restaurant or something. And he goes to he goes to uh to to the jail. And he's not really phased. Like he understands Like he got arrested. He got arrested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he's not phased by the fact that he's got arrested as in he goes there and he just still goes talks to the inmates about you know hey the word of god like the good news he just wanted to go and still do that regardless of like and that fascinated me i was like how can like you would assume you know you're in a bad place that means you must act bad yeah you know but you you still have a response within whatever situation you are and how do you respond you know yeah that and so that that quote of responsibility from victor frankel in the concentration mm-hmm. camps um comes from a book 
uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Mm. And he actually was in. Wait a minute. I think I have that book. Actually. I guarantee you do. Yeah. It's, it's like on everyone's bookshelf. It's the most important and least read of your books on your shelf. Probably like this dude's contribution, Victor Frankel and mm. logotherapy. That is his seminal most known book, mm. but his other books are really a, cause he's a psychologist mm-hmm. breaking down and, and actually to me, he overlaps tremendously with, I don't know if you're familiar with Paul Tillich. Paul Tillich is a theologian that I really love who actually has yes. a book called the courage to be, which I think circles a lot around some of the ideas that you're echoing. But Victor, Victor Frankel, uh, was a Jewish man, ended up in a concentration camp, four of them. And he, most of his life's work actually got taken from him. He had to kind of start again wow. when, he, when he got out after they're after release from, I believe Auschwitz finally, um, I think it was at the end of the war mm-hmm. and he, he started writing and he developed what's called logotherapy, mm-hmm. man's search for meaning that meaning the logos is what matters most. And so here's his, like the, the, the broad brushstroke of this is he's like, I was in a concentration camp and so were a lot of good Jews, like just decent everyday Jewish people, good people, ordinary people. Mm-hmm. And they were brought in and they were put in horrendous circumstances made to do horrendous work. Actually, and let's just, because we're talking about work, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I think is most, one of the most blasphemous things I think I've ever seen in my life is in the concentration camp they had, and I I can't say this in um, German, but they had a sign hanging over the gate that said, work will set you free. Hmm. And then had them carry like bags of wet salt back and forth across the compound, like not the most excruciating and non-productive work. So you're going to work and it produces nothing and it's just painful and you just do it, undo it, do it, undo it kind of thing. Right. Under the banner that work will set you free, which I go, I actually think there's something true and beautiful about work will set you free. But it's used in such. But then it's held over the heads of these enslaved people that I'm like, this might be the definition of blasphemy as Mm -hmm. far as I understand. But anyway, at that place, in these horrendous conditions that these Jews are pushed into, he said, I saw saw something happen. Some of these people became monsters. Monsters. Like demonic people. Because they cared about themselves survival was everything and they stole from their neighbor. They lied. They cheated. They did whatever it took. And many of them went into collusion with the Gestapo and started policing their own people. Wow. Then other good Jews, many of whom you couldn't have told, you couldn't have been able to tell them apart if you just went to a cocktail and had dinner. But in the concentration camp, he's like, some of them became like angelic beings sources of grace and goodness and hope sources of the presence of God, even Mm. drawn to the pain of others, serving and sacrificing, ready to lay down their lives. And this actually informed his thinking after this, he came out and said, you know what the difference is? The ability to find and, and or make meaning in any circumstance. 
And it's really fascinating to me as you talk, because I hear you saying, so I heard this is actually from, so from another book, I got this template that's been really helpful to me. So there's a book called the, uh, uh, I want to say it's like something like the business secrets of the Benedictines or the business, the business practices of the Benedict Benedictines. It's a business book written by a businessman who's the CEO of a company who started spending time with monastics, mm-hmm. the Benedictines in particular, Benedictines run businesses. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you might, they, they make beer or they make right. fruit cake, whatever they do. They make some really great stuff and eggs. And so he goes and, he really went for spiritual reasons, but mm-hmm. he's like, while I was there, I was blown away by the difference. So I've run many successful companies, he says, but when I was there, I saw a different ethos, a different practice, a different discipline, but very, very successful businesses. Mm-hmm. But he's like, but what was weird is they, they didn't have a profit motive. They had a piety motive. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they were there to love neighbor, love and serve and product was everything. And like work ethic was high and there was something sacred and meaningful. But anyway, the template he lays out in that book that I've been using and I've echoed a few times in this is if you're thirsty and I give you something to drink, it changes your condition. Okay. So you have condition. Yeah. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm weak. Whatever. Here's a condition. Um, If I give you transportation, access to a job, whatever. I change your circumstances. You didn't have a house. Now you have a house, right? It's a, it's not your condition, but it's your circumstances and your circumstances can change. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, and this is what was so interesting to me is like, but then there is your being state of being. Yeah. And a state of being is different than those things. And what's interesting is that that's illustrated in all that we've been talking about because you're saying you you can go into dark, hard places and it takes courage, but what it takes is a state of being Yeah, that I have. And this is what Paul was saying. I have learned to be content. I have a state of being that transcends being shipwrecked. Yeah. There is something meaningful enough in my life that I will do what I was doing before I was arrested after I was arrested because it's what matters to me. It's what I'm motivated to do. And come hell or high water, as they say, yeah, I'm going to give myself to that higher meaning, that transcendent purpose. And so Viktor Frankl would say, that is, that is the thing that will heal everybody. Mm. And in some sense, what you had said in the beginning, that I think good news is the answer. And the good news is, there is a point. It's not all meaningless. You're not alone. There is hope. And you, and, and, and from that be encouraged and stand up and now be hope and target people that are not alone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's just the, just being that who, who Christ is. And I, I just view it in a sense of, you know, of there is a mysterious thing that the, it just changes the heart. It just changes the heart. And I, I can't get away from that. Like, it's fascinating because, like, in my line of work, you know, we deal with behaviors um, and we deal with how to communicate with people. And I I use it a lot, actually, <laughs> you know, not just at, in, at work, but outside of work. Because some part time times I'm sometimes I'm look, looking at, hey, does this stuff really work, you know? Can you like, give me an example? Like, so um, there's this thing called active listening, and mm. it's called ORS, um, an open-ended question. 
uh, words of affirmation is A, um, affirmation. Um, R is reflecting the feelings, and S is summary. You know, so you, I'd open it up to question, be like, hey, so tell me about such and such. And it, it gives more than just a yes or no answer. Affirmation is like, you know, yeah, you know, that's really cool. I appreciate you sharing that. Reflecting is like, man, I can see how that made you feel so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And so summarize, let me get this see. You did this and this and this and this and this, and it made you feel this, and now you're here. Summarization. Part of it is, is it's almost an absolute. Everyone wants to hear about themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> you know interview you know like yeah, yeah. everyone everyone likes to talk yep if they can you let them talk they will and we're it regards to the, the what you're saying you know so one of the things is is that those things work and it helps motivate um change it helps motivate a a good behavior yep but a good behavior means nothing without a good heart you know, and that's 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 one of the things like where you're saying like Paul just his heart needed his very being had to really like change from that. And sometimes he wrestles with it. I do things that I should do and I do the, I don't do the things that I need to do, you know, but it, it is it is essential that behaviors can change. Mm. But it doesn't mean anything if you are not willing to change your heart. Mm hmm. You know, and it's it is it, it it has so much to do, and you feel more alive. Yeah. Let you me know. ask you. So th- there is, I imagine you'll have some thoughts on this. Maybe even be very familiar with it. It's what I hear you saying. So you're saying, you know, Paul said, uh, "If I give all that I have to the poor, but mm-hmm. don't have love, it's nothing." Right. That's kind of what you're referencing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he he. There's there's a point where he's like, you know, it's. It's you kind of self-evaluate your intentions. Like, what are you? Why are you helping out people? Yeah, and nobody has completely altruistic motivation. Right, it doesn't. You, you know, so it's like, why are you helping out people? Would you help out someone and give all your resources to that person and not get any recognition? Would that still be okay with you? Well, and that is the model. Yeah. that Jesus laid out. He said, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing. And mm-hmm. it's actually the reason that I think I've had such a hard time. Like, so I have a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. We do mission ministry work. Right. We work with the homeless and the poor and we raise money. And there's a necessity there to snap a photo of the food distribution or whatever yeah. and send it to people with resources to say, Hey, help pay for the expense of this work or Mm -hmm. come join us in this work. And I think, and it's really difficult for me. This is like a theological problem I have with the practical behavior of Christian mission Mm. is I don't think it's Christian. If you take a picture of it, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like in the the explicit sense is like Jesus said, don't do that. When you pray, go mm -hmm. in the closet. This is none of anyone's business. You don't, don't, I mean, not to pick on your brother and I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but it's, you know, you don't pray on Facebook live and I'm not, I'm not critical of that. I actually think that's kind of cool. But what I mean by that is like, this is not to be done to be seen. In Mm -hmm. fact, don't tell anyone you're doing it. Just when you fast, 
Don't look hungry and don't talk about it. When you pray, hide it. Mm-hmm. And when you give, don't let anyone know what you're doing. Yeah. And this is a super troubling thing for me. Well, one is if you want to be strict about it, which I don't think is probably the point. Mm-hmm. I think there, I can go a little too far that way. You can right? go legalistic with it. Legalistic sure. on yeah. it. But, but, the, but I get it. Like the question you're asking is, would you be doing this if you didn't get praise or seen? And then a deeper question is, and what if even God doesn't see? Man, uh, for me, I'm like, I don't think ever God cannot see, but, but I mean, sure. it, because I, part of my thing is, is that like, it can't even be genuine without it personally. That to me, it's like, I don't think you can necessarily be genuinely wanting to even be motivated to be good without some sort of, um, righteous influence. Well, that's right. So yeah. that is, I mean, that is to say like. God is what it is to be motivated to be good in some sense. But, God is but, good, you know, so like you can't, Yeah, you know, so, you, yeah. So, but I mean, I, I, in some ways I think I get what you're saying, um, but it's this idea that I, I we're going to use John the Baptist. Yep. Um, I think he only did three years Yeah. and you only hear him one area. Mm-hmm. He had one thing to do and he died. Yep. What he did was meaningful, mm-hmm. purposeful, mm-hmm. amazing. But he doesn't get any more recognition than that. Yep. You get what I'm saying? Stephen, he got martyred. He was just giving the gospel and he gets martyred. But that was it. Are you okay with whatever story in which you're saying, you know, I'm I'm content in this. Yeah. Well, it's good because it's like, hey, listen, you have something to do. Mm-hmm. You have a response, a job, yeah. so to speak, like a vocation, a calling on your life that is beyond what you do for your occupation. It may overlap. It may not. Right. But there's something you're here to do. And are you willing to do it? Are you preparing yourself to be able to do it? But I think to go back, because I don't want to be unclear about right, like, right, what right, if right. God doesn't see. No, 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 no. I, the, I reason, I the reason I asked that is around the question of motivation. So, uh, now interestingly though, there is a, there is a scripture that may, you made me think of when you say, I don't think God can ever not see, Mm -hmm. um, unless God chooses not to see, which actually is in, in Isaiah. Now this is a little more around hearing, Yeah, but God is very, the book of Isaiah is awesome. And I, that's, that's like a God. I like, I like his attitude. I'm like, this is a disagreeable mofo. (laughs) So he's like, listen, when you pray, I plug my ears. Oh yeah. When you burn incense, I want to throw up. Yeah. When you sing songs in your church, basically Mm -hmm. it is racket to me. Why? Because you neglect the poor. Mm -hmm. You ostracize the alien. You do not welcome the stranger. Right. Like you're, you fail at every meaning. And this is what Isaiah 58 culminates in. He's like, this is, you think fasting is going without food. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what true fasting looks like. It's to care for the sick and the poor and the vulnerable to open mm-hmm. your house, to clothe the naked to, and this is where he kind of says, and welcome the stranger. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now I also, I'm just running with that. Cause that passage is so important to me. And I think gets at some of what you were saying, like, this is a hard pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a hard, good pain. Mm-hmm. 
but it's good for you and something good comes of it is this is what Isaiah 58 says, because it's filled with promises. Mm -hmm. If you talk to religious people is, and you, and you go, you know, you will be like a well-watered garden, a spring whose waters never fail. When you call me on me, I'll be like, here I am. Yeah. I will be available to you. I will answer your prayers. You will be healthy and whole like a well-watered garden. Yeah. But all of that was contingent on a bunch of if statements. They were if then, if then it like, isn't that what you want in your religious life, your pursuit of God? You want God to be available and accessible and to fill you with courage and love and joy. Cause he laid it out. He said, if you clothe the naked, if, you share your food. If you welcome the stranger, if you spend yourself on behalf of the poor, I feel like it connects to where Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh-huh. And it's this idea is like to know, I, cause I battle this sometimes. It's okay. like, you know, you're, you're wanting to, it's like, you know, God, like theologically, you know, um, I, I'm like, you know, my love is not sufficient. I need your love, you know, to to basically work in my heart in order for me to go and do the things in which you're wanting me to do, mm -hmm. you know. So <clears throat> what I don't want to do is, is like, oh, this is my calling. I'm going to do this. But then there's other people in need that I can't help because... God's called me to this. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I agree 100. percent Yeah, that makes me. I want to punch people in the mouth. <laughs> no, I no for sure. Yeah, dude. yeah. So it's like, let me hop over this broken person so I can get to my calling. Air quote calling. Right. You know, and it's one of those things. Is like, I'm not asking you to. You do what you can. Sure. You know, and understand and trust God and pray in which He would be able to do that. But you do the great commission first, that's actually our first calling. Everything, the other is secondary and it's how it comes, what method in which God is calling you to do the great commission. That's how I see it, you know? So, but I mean, I, you can't get away from helping the needs. Well, people. yeah, but this is, and even, even, let me just go back. Cause I'm curious, you know, you said, Hey, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And that, that can sound weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it, it seems to me to be very similar to saying, if you want to lose weight, you won't eat that cheesecake. Like, yeah. like there, it's not like if you like, it's not a codependent. Like if you love me, you'll give me this gift or whatever. Mm -mm. It's, it's no, these are the same thing. Like, I, it, I mean, it, I view it as even more as to say, if you love your wife, you're not going to cheat on her. That's it. It's like those equal each other. This mm -hmm. is a, uh, what like a tautology this mm -hmm. is to say the same thing mm -hmm. um okay i want to go back i was going to ask you a question yeah, so yeah, you yeah. said if your behavior changes but it matters how you feel all right that that, that stood, stood out to me and we referenced like okay mm -hmm. i said like when paul said right um and and have not love it's nothing so theologically and this is i think been an important development something i've been interested interested in but like historically i think people have been really concerned with um what's called orthodoxy yeah orthodoxy for those that don't know means right thinking basically mm -hmm. right. um dot, the right ortho so ortho is like orthodontist is to set your teeth straight right <laughs> and so orthodoxy is to set your thinking straight right right and so you got to have good thinking. Mm -hmm. Well, somewhere along the way, 
they were like, you need to believe the right things, mm-hmm. ascribe to the right doctrine, right. have the right creed. Cool. And, and it's important to think straight. Uh, but somewhere along the way, and I think really, I think liberation theology was a big part of this, but mm-hmm. people would come up and say, sure, but what about how you live? Yeah. What about what you do? Because I don't think it matters that you believe he was raised on the third day, but you never practice resurrection or love of neighbor or the poor. Mm, Right. And this is, goes back to the Isaiah 58. I think this is what I think they were right. Cause I, and they could point to scripture going, God is saying, I plug my ears when you pray, even though you pray all the right things or whatever, because of you mistreat the poor. Okay. Now carry that forward because that's about behavior and practice. So they called mm. that orthopraxis. Mm. So the right doing, the right practice. Okay. So then, uh, uh, then some people would take that inspiration from Paul and would come along and I don't, maybe, I don't know who necessarily is like a movement. Maybe I want to say a, a more Pentecostal, but like someone will come along and say, great. You think all the right things. You believe all the right things. That's cool. But they were right. You need to act right. You need to yeah. be you need to practice these things and maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that'll help you think actually, but ultimately you need to feel right. And now this is challenging for me, but it's what I just heard you say. You go, well, it's one thing to change your behavior and it's another thing to, um, actually feel love or to compassion or something like that. And so you need to move toward mm-hmm. love. I want, I want to ask you to kind of flesh that out in this template a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so there is a just kind of going from the the, the Bible of uh, there there is an assumed behavior um, in which something in which I would say you know coming from more of a, re- a reform background is um, something in which God does to the heart of the individual to make him want to do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it. So in in the, in this context, it is more of saying, you know, before be- me becoming a believer, like I I had no interest in wanting to do anything for for God and in, in view, but it doesn't. But by doing that, it's not this idea that like, hey, don't know this things. More p- people just kind of know. But then they, they don't do anything. Mm-hmm. And that's not what it's called to us to do. It's calling to know and do. Yeah. You know, so I think there's many, many denominations that go ahead and will tr- even try to biblically justify why not helping this way or this way. Um, sure. But, you know, regardless of what it is, he's like, you see a need and God is calling you to go ahead and do it. You might not have to do it the same way someone else is doing sure. it. But, you know, biblically speaking, that is someone that is an image bearer. Mm. So the question is, are you saying God is asking you not to help this image bearer? Or are you not wanting to help the image bearer because you're not comfortable? Well, that's good. And I think that's what, you know, the scariest mm-hmm. kind of thing then is the only time that Jesus ever talked about judgment, mm-hmm. painted a picture of it was Matthew 25. Mm-hmm. And what was the template? He's like, I was hungry. I was sick. I was in prison. I was naked. And you did what? 
And those he's talking to to professing believers. Oh, for sure. And they and they say, if we would have seen you, we'd have done something. Like when did I see you? Mm-hmm. And actually, the people that did something said, yeah. when did I see you? Yeah. And to both of them, he yeah. said, every time you closed your door, you rolled your window up. You ignored me. Like I was everywhere mm-hmm. because I came in disguise. I was the wounds. I was the pain. I was the needs. And I think, I really do. I think that that statement is probably, I would say it, the identification with the poor and the outcast that Jesus makes there is as important, carries as much weight theologically mm-hmm. as the incarnation itself. Like if the incarnation matters, then the identification that that incarnation makes matters the same, right? That in my mind is like, well, what is it? He incarnated. Mm-hmm. Oh, he did not consider equality with God. Something to be grasped, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant or slave. He actually, he wasn't just mankind. He was the poor. This is God made poor. Hmm. And and mm-hmm. go ahead. What All was right. that? Oh, no. So are you, are you saying that as in God made poor, as in he made himself poor in a sense? I'm just wanting to make sure. Well, right. So, and I will just for the sake of clarity, because this is a difficult thing is like I, when I would define poverty, I would say poverty has to do with not having choices. Uh, and so okay. there is a way in which choosing, like if I decide to like give up all my stuff, that's not poverty. That's simplicity mm-hmm. because I chose it. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Where if I strip it from you, it's poverty. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Right. But in that sense, the let's say, the, you know, theologically, the King of Kings, the Lord of Everything, stripped him of his glory to come. Says down. I is kenosis. Mm-hmm. I will strip myself of everything. I will choose mm-hmm. to become shoot a baby, a, a a international refugee baby born in a barn because mm-hmm. there's nowhere for me to live live in a world, live several years as an international refugee, then yeah. ultimately be a man who says, I have nowhere to lay my head, mm-hmm. was an outcast and will be crucified and killed in a state sanctioned ed- uh, execution as right. a criminal. Right. It's like, and then say, oh, by the way, when you saw a naked person, a hungry person, a person with leprosy, a sick person, that's me. Like, you want to know what I look like or where to find me? I am the poor I am Mm -hmm. with the poor among the poor. And man, that really, by the way, you mentioned King earlier. Yeah. I don't know what talk this is from, but it made me tremble. But he said, he said it might be on eyes on the prize. I think one of them ends in the credits, but you can hear in his like beautiful, powerful voice. Like it is. If I can hear the God of history saying I was hungry, like basically he, we've done all this work. And he's like, it wasn't enough Yeah, because I was hungry. Like, you can never stop mm-hmm. because I'm hungry. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I was like, man, that, it was just so powerful. I wish I, I pulled that quote mm-hmm. up for you. but Yeah, I think w- one of the things of is um, our, our job as believers just is never uh, completed until – Christ comes, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the reclaiming King comes to come back for his own, mm-hmm. you know? So in that it, it's this, like I used to, I put a quote up once. I was like, we can have 
world peace and fill all the world with food and for the hungry and stuff. But our job still isn't done. Mm-hmm. If the uh, if Christ is not back, I would be excited to test that hypothesis. Though. Yeah, I would. So I'm like, yo, let's work at doing that. Exactly right. that. I mean, let's work on the hearts and minds and bodies of everyone in our community, in our state, yeah. in our country, in our world. And and I dream of a place where to every do that. Belly is you know? And then it's like, yeah, we'll see. Because you know? I imagine those go hand in hand. Oh, definitely. Right. Definitely, we absolutely. need to address the circumstance and the condition. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, there is a state of being of existence itself that is in process of redemption. It is being saved and made whole. There's one other thing in which I think is like um, in a sense of bringing these things and these opportunities for those that in need and poor is like for like the remedy project, like everyone can give something to somebody. But what I'm saying is, is like, I not, I don't want to just give you something. I want to show you who has gave me. Yeah, that's good. You know, I, I want to give you the gospel, you know, like I, yeah, I, some people view it in a negative connotation. Like my agenda, agenda, is to give you hope. Yeah. In order for me to do that, I must give you what you need. Yeah. Sure. You know. Sure. So, um, so in in that is like, look, if I could give you hope in a situation, not in the in this in the terms of where. Hey, I'm doing this so you can have the same better life that I have. I got to be honest, my whole entire life, I've never had a comfortable living like many of my friends that I hang out with. Yeah. Um, and some of my friends I hang out with have a worth worse situation. Sure. So it's it's it is that thing in which you're saying. Um, I think you said Victor. Victor Frankel. Victor Frankel is that heart state and that's that, right you know which is the situation i am is not good but how do i change that well and i can still be good i can still be good right? i can choose to be good yeah um what's coming up with the remedy project all right so the remedy project um it's uh we're trying to hit six um, um, local issues. Okay. One part of it is, is just trying to kind of bring not just awareness, but a call to action from the church. Yep. Um, to address maybe one of them, but I haven't have all six. I do have three, and the third one I'm trying to do is foster kids. What are the the other two? So one was so trafficking. I did um, minor trafficking, right? Bridging, uh, bridging. You did freedom. that, okay? I have done um, human, uh, not uh, refugees. Yep. And there is a ministry called Love Is Ministry that's yeah. in Tampa, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Um, I've done that one, and I'm still working at the Kinks. I was hoping to do it this year. Um, I'm gonna put it in a little bit back burner and needed to put more planning into staging. Mm-hmm to do foster kids and hopefully being able to do it next year. Now, what is it you're going to do? All right. So um, as much as I'm doing the awareness aspect, what I want to do is um, maybe have, it's kind of maybe three levels. Um, I, I actually, it's nothing against big churches, but I'm not trying to hit big churches. Mm-hmm. 
I figured I can get more churches involved are just small local churches. Sure. And so I'm trying to get local churches within their community that they know of, hopefully have someone that's willing to do foster, do a foster home for the, in that community. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least have information about it. And yep. then so there is that aspect, but there's also where certain foster cares um, could do guardian litem. Yep. So I'm trying to list almost like a hub is like, hey, there's you can do get involved with foster care doing guardian litem. Yep. You can do this by going to maybe a um, a foster home. You can be a foster parent. You know, and there is respite care for foster parents. There's ways for you to support this effort. So the concert, usually how I do it is try to find local uh, bands that are willing to donate their time. Okay. To the benefit concert and just build together in getting churches invested in doing that. Do you know when you're going to do this event? Um, I try to do it October and the second Saturday of every year, uh, every two years. And so we're looking at 2020. Mm -hmm. So that gives us plenty of time. This will definitely be out for a good amount of time. A lot of people could be listening. Mm -hmm. So for sure, if there's any bands out there, I know of a couple right now. I want to call them out, but I'll just hit them up offline and see if they want to (laughs) come give time that could draw a crowd. Mm -hmm. Um, Any other ways that people could support you in that effort? Uh, You have a good ramp up timeline here. How can Uh, people get in touch or get involved? I'm I'm trying to work on a website, so that's gonna be. A Are way. you on social media? I am actually not. You're not on social media, no, and no. you don't have a website. No, so like I I've forced myself. I used to have a Facebook. I I actually permanently deleted my Facebook. Yep. And I'm forcing myself to do face to face interactions. Yep. Um, and then from that, just build off of that. All and right. Just go for it because I know it's slow. It let Let's just assume yeah. that there's someone that's listening to this. Yeah. That is filled with motivation mm-hmm. to join and help you and has the capacity to do that. Oh, is so there, are you really going to say there's no way for them to get a hold of you? No, no, no. Okay. No. <laughs> I have, I have a, um, an email for the remedy. Perfect. Um, let me see if I can pull it up make sure I have the right one. Well, good. So as you're looking that up, I just want to encourage anyone that's listening. Um, this brother has been doing some really good work. Uh, I've been really enjoying both this conversation and any conversation we've been able to have when he pops in the shop. We always take a little too long and because uh, I, I just leave whatever I'm doing because I'm so excited to to talk with his brother. And I, I just encourage you guys to help him out, get involved. Let's really work to grow the remedy project. And and honestly, what I love about this is the idea of influencing and activating churches that are, you know, singing songs and gathering and building community and doing a lot of beautiful things, but often need help realizing that they are, they exist for the sake of mission for helping and giving and working in the world in concrete ways. And this dude is going, I tell you what, I'm going to go pick a concrete way and I'm going to exercise this gift and connect you guys with it. Did you find it? Um, so I'm just going to give my other email okay? because uh, I couldn't find the other one, but it's, um, Matt Maxter. I don't know why one of my friends came. It's supposed to be like mature, maximal maturity, but <laughs> it's stupid. So it's Matt Maxter at gmail.com. M-A-T-T-M-A-X-T-U-R-E at gmail.com. 
So T U R Max Tur. Yeah. <laughs> got it. I got it. Got it. Not the best one, but hey, I, I it is def- what it is. Yeah, is I definitely can um get that other information to you for sure. But um All good. It's I think I can't quote me on this, but I think it's called the remedy project eight one three at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, somebody out there listening goes this brother needs a website yeah. and, a, and, a, and, a, and someone to help with the email address. So, so email him and let him know you want to help him out with that. Yeah. Let him email him and let him know you got a band and you want to help perform and draw some attention, some awareness and a call to action around uh, needs in particular in the foster care system. And I, I know specifically of some churches right now and some communities that are actively engaged in those things mm-hmm. that I might try to tag and say, I know there's going to be some interest there. Absolutely. And and we're always looking for venues. So so if you have a church you're wanting to do the venue, I'm always up for that, you know, mm-hmm. and I definitely will get back to you. Um something in which I'm passionate about and yep. I have been for it's gonna be five years now. I love it, man. Yeah. Uh so I wanna ask you some questions. Um you can answer as short or as long as you like. Um and we still have a little bit of time here, yeah. but um can you sketch for me a little bit like of your earliest memories mm-hmm. of work. Now this could be, this could be what mom and dad did. This could be what your first memory of you working hard at something is both. Um, but just like as far back as you can think, what are your earliest memories of work? So my first earliest memory of work in general would be, I worked at KFC, nice. but my first memory of like where I wanted to do hard work um, <clears throat> I used to live in Odessa for almost three years mm-hmm. on a farm and they, what kind of farm? it was just like a small farm. They had cows, beef cows, okay. uh, ducks. Nice. They actually had tilapia too. They cows, had, ducks, and tilapia. man. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go there. That sounds <laughs> right. awesome. You know, so I, I was there and they did not get, let me use any excuses. They're like, Hey, you're here, you're paying rent. And if you, it was even when I quit my job and they're like, you have to work. You have to work. You know, you have to work. And so I complain. I <laughs> frustrated, you know, but I'd wake up maybe like five, not five, about six or seven mm-hmm. work on the yard. They had 24 acres mm-hmm. mowing their yard pulling weeds mm-hmm. and then um i got a part-time job working as a camp counselor at a ymca over there and uh so like the worth ethic really from there became huge you know i helped build a shed <laughs> yeah yeah digging pole i actually literally pulled out a tree about i don't know like half a foot yeah you know and i had to dig it out pull it out and replant it you know so Oh wow! You had to dig all the way around all the roots and everything. And everything. Drop it again. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, when I understood worth ethic, it happened then, and that wow. was about four or five years ago. Tell me about like what do you have anything in particular like oh something formed in me in that process of doing that? I kind of realized like just bad things happen, you know like. I was not in control of bad things, mm. you know, unfortunate situations and things of that sort. Um, and, but I still needed to keep my responsibilities. I yeah. still needed to do the things that I was wanting to do or needed to do. So like, so they kind of made you work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and so 
at, at that moment, that's when I was like, you know, what? like, I don't think this is healthy. And that's what made me research like work, ah. you know, and it's like um, so the more I worked, like I still would not go in that direction of how to. You don't want to be a farmer. <laughs> I, I probably I still, not. I still think I, I, I would enjoy that. But yeah, Pro- probably not. But like I do love the farm life. You know, it, it was very like exclusive uh but um it was it was there that it made me think um you know what is work really meant for dig deep yeah so and when when i kind of really dig deep dug deeper um it was like yeah it's actually a good thing Mm. you know and i've like i was saying before i used to think of work as something bad made you do things you didn't want to do and those things are actually challenged, mm-hmm. you know. If there's one thing I could tell people, it's like, when you think of something, challenge it. Don't just go off of it. Just challenge it and be genuine because what you're seeking is seeking for life. It really is good advice to just do hard things, even if it's yeah. because they're hard. Yeah. Like, you need to do hard things. Yeah. Hopefully, you can find hard things that are worthwhile, too. Yeah. But it's good enough just to pick it up because it's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about the earliest years? Did you did you grow up with your folks? Yeah, I grew up with my mom and dad, both are Haitian. Um, uh, my dad passed away about almost about ten years ago, hmm. I believe. Um, he was a hard worker all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did he do? So he at first used to work at this place. I don't know if this factory's still there called Mycon, mm-hmm. and this is what blew me away. He was there for almost like twelve years. Yeah. Never got a raise. Whoa. Never not once. And I and I looked at him because he, he when he got fired there he was applying to be a security guard and he's they were asking for like his work background and things of that sort and I was like, You never got a raise? He was like, Nope. He's he's literally been there for twelve years and he was like, mm, never got a raise. Not one. And I was like, There's something wrong with that. Yeah. Hugely, and and he supported me and four other brothers and my mom. Yeah, not working at the time, off of twelve years of not having a race. Dear God, yeah, you know, and then so, I guess when things got more difficult, my mom needed to start working, so she started working as a, I think an LPN. What's that? Um, I'm not sure, but it's, I think like more of a certified nurse. It's a nurse, but, right? Yeah, yeah. But I don't think it's like an RN. Or sure. Sure. Like that. Sure. So she, at the time was, I think it was called Tampa general hospital. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tampa general. Yeah. So she was there and she was there for about, is it not called that now? Mm-mm, I think it's like something else. I, oh, well that, so that's where that they put me back together after my car accident was at Tampa general. Yeah. 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 So, um, Real quick, mm-hmm. for all the moms out there, I your mom's still alive? Yes, yeah, she is. Cool. Well, hopefully she listens to this, and hopefully she appreciates this yeah. this question I'm about to ask you. I don't, I don't imagine mom would say she didn't work until she had a job. <laughs> is that true? Yeah. And like, I think it's important to honor mm-hmm. the work that mothers are doing. Yeah. To raise, I mean. I don't know how your brothers are doing, but you seem to be doing all right. You turned yeah. out pretty resilient and strong. I, I dude. Oh, my And mom. I imagine mom, mom should get some credit 
yeah. here for her work. Oh, so here's the thing. Let me let you know about okay. Haitians. <laughs> there you go. Come on, bring it. Let's do it. So Haitians, um, I, usually Haitian parents, um, the dad's fairly quiet, mm. very stubborn. I got that from my dad for sure, mm-hmm. um, but quiet. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like the soft-spoken person. But uh, my mom, she was outspoken, mm-hmm. very outspoken, but she could hold her own. She, she had no bo- girls. She had all boys, mm-hmm. um, bigger or stronger than me. You know, I'm actually the second youngest. Mm. <laughs> so, but my mom held her own. You know, so <clears throat> she was. Oh man, uh, f- hard to understand because I like, growing up in a kind of a dual culture, yeah, from America and to in a Haitian culture. Um, but she she sacrifices so much, you know. And I, she told me this. She's like, she, divorce was not an option, but like she says to me that how much they see staying together is as if if we are ever to separate we would have to cut our kids in half yeah you know so it was as if like individualistic was not something they think of it's always family oriented that's good man and that that is a rich cultural feature as Mm -hmm. well you know i've spent i've know i know a lot of haitians been some time in haiti but i've been i and and honestly man i would say a lot of well, Caribbean cultures in mm-hmm. general, yeah. uh, Latin America, but like, I, there's a way in which I'm like, man, the the, the ethic around family, yeah, like family first, uh, and the work kind of on the out of and in community with one another, that communitarian type yeah. flow is something that I admire and envy, and honestly, even think a lot of my own convictions around community have just been trying to emulate other cultures. For me, it was particularly time in the Philippines that mm. most drove at home, but I was like. I want what they have and it is foreign to me <laughs> growing up, yeah. you know, in, yeah. in kind of the culture that I did. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. We're a little more of the, I don't know. I don't know what the contrast, the rugged individualist or something that like, you know, and, and there's qualities to both of those, but that's a deep, rich culture. When you talked about, it's funny because you said, mom, you know, I picked on mom started working at this point, but I know what you mean. She went into the workforce as a yeah. nurse or whatever, and she had worked for you and se- and then you, as you converted to what she'd done your whole life, you used the word sacrifice. And we yeah. said earlier, I think work and sacrifice are yeah. often the same thing. But what I really appreciate about the choice of the word sacrifice is that it might actually be a richer word Yeah. to say, I said, oh, that's work. And you're like, what kind of work did mom do? Mom sacrificed, yeah, which is like to say she worked for something outside of herself. Mm-hmm. She worked at an expense to herself. Yeah, um, and so thank you, mom. Yeah, thank you all the moms that Absolutely. have done your job, right, and still continue doing. And job. Continue doing it, you know. So um, it's it's it is a it is a model that's not appreciated a lot you know and i think that's one thing that i've i've early um more later on in life i've got to know that my mom and my dad Mm. they never bought into the individualistic they bought into the family yeah and they what they did they did 
for the family and they were included in it. It wasn't just, oh, just for the kids. Now it was included us. for the family. It's for us. Yeah. So there are times like, why can't I have those Jordans? Everyone's buying Jordans. She's like, it's like, how do you want to eat? Yeah, sure. You know? Yeah. There, yeah. It's hard to know as a, as a kid and, yeah. and even growing up into an adult, it's still, <laughs> it's still tough to know yeah. sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it really is, man, is it seems like there's a real there's a, even something like that to do with you in youth, I imagine, is formed and shaped you in your decisions you make today. Mm-hmm. That you're like, yeah, immediate gratification is not as important as long term yeah. stability and success. Speaking of success, mm-hmm. uh, what is success? Um very very um difficult question in some areas but i think one thing that success is not is not just you mm. um it could include you mm-hmm. but i do think success is eternal mm. it's something that's um timeless um success does include and bring a genuine joy mm. for sure that those are more the effects of set success mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but that's, that's a hard one. If, if I make it relative to me, I would say success is, um, uh, glorifying God in whatever way he created me to be, mm. you know? So whether I have everything or I have nothing, you know, because I, I have actually had a friend ask me, he's like, Matt, what do you see yourself doing in the next f- five to 10 years? And I was like, honestly, I'm kind of doing that now. Yeah. So I don't necessarily think of what I should be doing five to 10 years. Maybe I'll do something in a different perspective. But if I'm actually working for the with the next generations that I don't care to do anything else you know that's very i feel the same way like it's i'll run into people i haven't seen in a while and like what's new and it's funny because there are new things like we opened a bike shop two years ago i wasn't doing that before that but i don't i don't see me doing anything different i just might have it's like if you were working on a car Mm -hmm. and last time you saw me i was holding a wrench but this time i'm holding a screwdriver but i'm still doing the same job yeah right and i and i understand it that way and if you said well what is it look like in 10 years and I'm like more of the same. So I imagine scale is the answer, right? Like we better have a bigger capacity engaged in more fights. Yeah. Equipping more people, gaining more traction or influence or whatever Mm -hmm. the, the thing might be, but I'm doing it. Yeah. I'll still be doing it. Cause in some sense I don't do new things, even though mm-hmm. every, like even this sh- podcast thing is like, it's a new thing. I just started doing this, Yeah, but it's part of the same project. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of just grows the project. So even if I'm done with the remedy project in some capacity, it's because of that, that I'm actually starting to do. That's right. Else. That's just the tool you're using. Yeah. And it sounds like a good tool, one that I hope that we can support and yeah, uh, maybe even down the road have you back and just say, hey, here's an update on what yeah, we've done. I'm definitely I, I am. I just want you to know I want to be involved in that project. I want to help in any way that we can, that I can, that the well can. 
um, and tap in our own network to kind of bring attention and people your way. Um, so we're coming up on probably a good time to stop. Is there anything you want to like say you've got, you know, I don't know how many people listening, but if you want to ask for something, announce something, I I really don't. Um, I just really enjoyed doing this. Definitely wanting to do it again. And, um, yeah, just see where it goes. Let me, I want to end by continuing and finishing the story that I opened with. So for those of you that are still listening, Matthew came in and bought a bike for the kids that he was working with. And then he came in and bought another bike and then he bought another bike. And then one day I called him up and I was like, dude, you're here all the time Mm -hmm. and you're getting bikes based on what's on the floor uh, and a small budget. So you don't have a lot of money to work with and we're just picking what we have available at the time. If, but you're here so regularly that I want to check in because if I could plan a little bit better and say, Hey, Oh, you're going to need three bikes. Let me get these bikes ready for you. And then we can maybe settle on a price point, figure out a way to negotiate that. And you know, he, he said, man, I love this idea, but like, I'm not the decision maker on the, on the, on the hierarchy. Right. Right. So, so there's, you know, people above me that maybe don't see this the same way or they haven't been to the store or they don't, you know, whatever. And so fast forward a little bit, he tried to say, here's my, you know, here's a few rungs up the ladder that you're going to need to talk to and people that are decision makers and actually budgeting and this and that. So I tried to kind of go that Avenue. And then just by, I don't know, uh, circumstance, I ended up, um, sitting with a board member for the organization who said, Hey man, like, I love that this is happening. Let me see if I can help move this conversation along. Mm -hmm. And then just recently met with some other leaders from Eckerd and we agreed to say, Hey, look, we're going to work to provide bikes for kids in the system. We're going to work together. We're going to start trying to make a budget for it, try to get some things around it. And so we're right in the beginning of that process but we want to kind of work together and partner and grow what each other are doing and help kids that you're working with have transportation so they can get to school, get to jobs, um, have a healthy way to build community, uh, to build their own physical well-being, the improvement to their own psyche Mm -hmm. and even be able to repair those bikes. So we're hoping to figure out ways to teach and work with you guys to do that. So we're right at the beginning stages of that, but stay tuned because I think you'll see a lot more from Well-Built Bikes Mm -hmm. and Eckerd Connects. And I'm really excited about the partnership. And honestly, all of that begins with you Mm -hmm. just trying to love and serve a kid first and then another kid and putting your self in the position to be there and have that conversation. So man, like for all that's grown of that one, it's a great illustration of who knows what comes of the effort you're putting into the things you're trying to do because I think we're going to figure out a way to get like you wanted a kid to have transportation. And now many kids will be able to do that at scale because of your faithfulness. But also I just want to say thank you for that. I'm excited about the partnership and, uh, and yeah, down the road, I'm sure those that are staying tuned and listening will hear more about what comes of that. Pay attention to both of our social media channels because we're definitely going to be uh, sharing the progress we make in this goal right. to get reliable transportation in the hands of kids and youth that need it, that are part of that, part of the different programs that you guys are working with. Yeah. Um, so, dude, thank you so much. Thank you for your work. Thank mm. you for your for sharing your story. Thank you for your time today. Brent. And uh, man, just keep it up. Thank you, dude. I'm I'm excited about this project. 
Awesome. Um, I'm excited about the connection, and I think uh, it's going to be great. Thank you. So do I, man. All right. We'll talk soon. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Work Ethic Podcast, where we're digging into topics like grit and resilience, flow state, discipline, sacrifice, drive, motivation, and really trying to develop a philosophy of work and attempt to define success and talking to as many uh, diverse people as we can about their meaningful, purposeful labor and work and kind of where they derive that motivation. And if this show has been valuable to you in your own work, I'd like to ask you to consider supporting the show. Uh, You can go to patreon.com slash the work ethic. Um, and offer whatever you're willing to as a patron there. We just thank you so much for any support you're willing to give and thank you for just joining in this project as we work toward developing a deeper, more profound philosophy of work and our own work ethic. Thank you so much.